If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn and join me in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. As I looked at that video, I'm reminded of the fact that there is strength through and after the struggle. If you talk to a farmer who raised chickens, what they will tell you is that if you try to circumvent the system, if you see a little chick and it's trying to peck its way out of that shell, if you go and break that shell for him and don't allow him to persevere, chances are that chick will die because there's strength that he gains through persevering through resistance in the struggle. There's strength that's gained through the struggle. You know, all of life is a struggle. And in most cases, growth will not happen without a struggle, without a fight. From the very beginning of time, we've always found that strength is born out of struggle. Well, what I've found as a, as a follower of Christ and as a pastor is that sometimes followers of Christ would rather run from a fight than to struggle through it. And I want to remind us, we've been talking through John, and guys, I might be a little hot up here. I've been, um, we've been talking through John. I want to remind us that we're engaged in a battle for our lives. It's a battle of our lives, and it's a battle for our lives. It's a battle that will never end this side of heaven. But I also want to remind us that, that we've been created in the image of God, in the image of Christ. And when we're tested, the Bible says that we can overcome, and we are overcomers, even as we walk through this world. I want to take as a title today, The Overcomers. The Overcomers. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 12, verse 11, John writes this about those who have overcome. He says this, and they conquered him, talking about Satan, talking about our enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto the death. There was a struggle. John is speaking of the, the struggle. The fight in Revelation is over, but the, but, but the victory wasn't won without the struggle. We are in a fight, but we're overcomers. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the privilege, the opportunity of breaking open your word. I don't take it lightly, and so I pray that over these next few minutes as I take my time and dissect what I believe it is that you'd say through me today, Pray for your wisdom, for your knowledge, for your understanding, for your courage, that you'll lift these words off the page. Infuse them with your power. Bring them alive through me as you speak through me to us today, I pray in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Now, if you look at the back of your bulletin, your bulletin will say that we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 15. But as I studied this passage out this week, I, I, I realized that John 
really writes in a, sec a circular motion and a circular style. And so what we're going to do is, is we're going we're gonna to follow what I believe is his style for our message today. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two passages of Scripture today, two paragraphs of Scripture. Uh, the first will be 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll drop down to verses 16 through 19. And in these two paragraphs that we're going to talk through today, John draws this stark contrast between those who are faithful, the faithful followers of Jesus Christ, and the unfaithful. And I believe this contrast is a call to us and for us who are followers of Christ to persevere through trials and to overcome. So in our text today, I want to I lift three virtues out of these two passages First, three virtues that characterize the faithful. These virtues are love, obedience, and faith. So what does it mean to overcome? The Greek definition for the word overcome means to prevail. It's a word that's used in the present tense, and what it really describes is a continuous, ongoing experience of living a triumphal life. In this life, in our spiritual DNA, as followers of Christ, we are designed to be overcomers. I don't think that God, as a matter of fact, I'm confident God did not redeem us to barely make it here in life. I think God has designed us to be triumphant overcomers. God didn't save us and invite us into his family to be pushed around or bullied around by our enemy. It's not as designed for us. We are created to be more than conquerors, the Bible tells us. We have the power of God that resides on the inside of us. We have the word of God in us, and we live by it. We have strong brothers and sisters in the framework and the context of community that can hold our arms up when we're weak, can come around us when we're struggling. We are designed to live triumphant in this life, and God has given us every single thing we need to be triumphant. The world is not supposed to dictate to us how life is supposed to be for us. As followers of Christ, we don't have to live ensnared by the cares of this world. We don't have to be addicted to drugs. We don't have to be addicted to alcohol. We don't have to be bound by the cares of this world. We can live a triumphant life in Jesus Christ. But triumphant living only comes one way for us. It comes God's way through love, through faith, and through obedience. So our first section of Scripture today, we're going to see the profile of the faithful versus one through five of, of chapter five. The faithful are the ones who have learned to persevere, and they are marked by growth and victory. Let's pick it up in verse one. John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God 
and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Love, obedience, and faith. These are virtues, active virtues, ongoing virtues. They're meant to be continuously demonstrated, these three virtues. So let's talk about the mark the marks of the overcomer. The first mark of the faithful overcomer is being loving when you're tested. To love when you're tested. And when John speaks of love here, family, he's he's talking about agape love, God's love, a right now active love, a present tense love. It's a type of battle-tested love that, that you, that's really not put on display until there's some kind of unlovable context that appears. Hmm. Agape love demonstrates itself in places where the demonstration of love is extremely difficult. It's this kind of uncommon love, family, that Jesus spoke about when he said, by this Will all men know that you are my disciples when you have love, when you have this kind of uncommon, unconditional, supernatural, God-given love one for another? Agape love means even if you have to change or adjust the nature of your relationship with people, you never discard them. You never kick them to the curb. It's the kind of love that always moves towards people and not away from people. Followers of Christ never stop loving even difficult people. That's really a good place to say amen. And family, biblical love is not a feeling. Biblical love is doing what is right by God and by others. When we love God's way, when we love God's way, that love, agape love, will stand even the most grueling test. It will prevail. It's our ability to love when we are tested. The second mark of, a, of the faithful is, is our ability to obey when we are tested. And I'd say this, I, I believe that we learn obedience through the difficulties of trials. And as we submit to the authority of the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I believe he empowers us to walk through our trials in total obedience and submission to the will of God for us. And when we do that, the commandments of God are not burdensome because we're walking in the power, in the power of the Holy Spirit and not our own. And here's the truth. Obedience to God is not a, it's, it's not a suggestion. It's not. It's a requirement for us. It's a commandment. 
And God's, God's desire for obedience for us is for us to be able to experience his love and his grace and his mercy for it to abound in us and to be poured out on us. That's, that's what he wants for us to have in a life of obedience to him. But obedience is never an option. It's never an option. And I'd say this. That our expression of our love for our Lord and for our God is born out through our obedience to him. I'd even go as far as to say that we cannot have an abiding relationship with God outside of our total submission to his guiding authority in our lives. I know it's strong. And listen, I'll say this too. We don't have the option of obeying some of his commandments and ignoring or kicking the other ones aside. Hmm. Jesus said it. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't say you'll keep some of them. He didn't say you'll keep the ones that will be easy and discard the hard ones. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so verse 3 tells us that there's no love relationship with God apart from obedience. Mm. So the second virtue is, is obedience. The third virtue of our faith is faith when we are threatened. You know, if you remember back in week three of the series, I preached a message on worldliness. And, and I said in that, in that message that daily, every day, sometimes moment by moment, sometimes breath by breath, we are bombarded by the cares of this world. This world is a threat to us. This world that we live in throw stuff at us consistently and it's our faith in Jesus Christ and who we are in him that allows us to overcome any satanic or demonic attack against us. We're in a war. We're in a war. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, he says, he says that we are, we are given the armor of God. Remember, how many of you were with us when we went through the, through the series in Ephesians? Remember, the, Paul says we are given the armor of God, and we're given it to fight. And in that armor, in verse 16, we're given the shield of faith, where we're able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, the Bible says. We're able to defend ourselves against the wicked one. And then the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, he said, listen, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, we are to hold up that shield of faith. Now let it down. Why? Because if you're a child of God, you are, you, are, you are going to be attacked by the evil one. There is no doubt about it. And so don't buy into the lie that, you know, the only time that we're attacked is when we're somehow outside of the will of God. 
That, that somehow, you know, our life is not lined up with his, so, so it gives the enemy plenty of room to attack us. No, let me tell you something. Listen, listen. If you are a child of God, you are going to be attacked and assaulted by the enemy. How many children of God? And let me see your hands. All of y'all are under attack. All of us. But watch this now. God doesn't give us weapons of warfare just to sit back and take it from the enemy. He doesn't. He gives us a a, a shield of faith. And he gives us the sword of the spirit that we take into battle and do battle against our enemy. James tells us that we're to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Listen now, resistance isn't like this. Oh, No, no, man. Resistance is, hey, hey, bring it on. Whatever you got, I'm here to resist you. Matter of fact, I'm here to take ground from you. You step on the enemy's territory and you're not afraid because the greater one lives on the inside of you. You can resist him and take that ground that he's trying to take from you. I know I sound angry, but I'm not. I'm passionate. James tells us to fight the consistent discipline of loving and obedience and faith strengthens our resolve to resist the enemy. Every time we use those three virtues, it's like that chick pecking through that shell. And that's why when you see mature followers of Christ going through the heat of battle, it seems like, you know, they're, they're not rattled. They're not discouraged. They're not dismayed. Why? Because they've seen it before. They've been through it before. They've got the battle scars to prove it. They have battle-tested obedience. They have battle-tested love. They have battle-tested faith. They've persevered through the trials. They know what it takes to get to the other side. So, so, so battle-tested followers are not shaken like new believers are shaken. The sign of the faithful, the sign of the maturing follower of Jesus Christ, the mark of the maturing follower of Jesus Christ, Christ is growth and victory. The faithful. But now there's a second profile that John writes about in this passage, and that's of the, the unfaithful. What happens to those who, who, who choose to continue to give in to sin, the ones who cease loving and obeying and being faithful? You know, this is another one of those passages that I think represents an ellipsis. An ellipsis is, 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 is a statement that is, is not made, but it's clearly stated in the passage. Because John doesn't come right out and use these words, these three words in the second half of this passage. But, but the argument can be made from the first five verses that John is clearly stating the opposite of what a faithful follower is. Those that are loving and obedient and have faith. 
I'm gonna, I, I just need to say something. This, this is a very sobering passage of Scripture we're about to get into. It's, it's very sobering. It might even be the, the most serious passage that I've taught you as your pastor. And, and I know, because that is very rare that I hear someone teach this, and I understand why. It's, I think it's because of fear that somebody's going to get offended and leave the church. But I'm going to teach it. Because I've always believed that if it's written in this book, it needs to be taught. And so remember, this is the word of God. This is not my words. And I said earlier in, in, in the beginning of this, of this series, John doesn't mince words. He doesn't deal a lot with theoretical Christianity. He gets right to the point. And so I'm not going to mince words either. Hmm. John says there are the faithful that are marked by growth and victory. And in contrast, I'll summarize it by saying this, that there are the unfaithful and they are marked by God's discipline and defeat. Verse 16. If anyone sees a brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Hmm. But there is a sin, there is sin, not a sin, there is sin that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, there's a tension here about what this, this passage actually means because it's such, it's such a startling passage of Scripture. And so some think that John is talking about non-believers here, but, but if you look at the text, John is talking to, to believers. He's talking about those that are in the family of God. He starts off by saying, if you see your brother... So he's not talking about your biological brother. He's talking about your brother in the redemption. John says, for those who are in the family of God, there are two categories of sin. A sin that does not lead to death or sin that does not lead to death. And let me me make sure that I clarify this. We're not talking about a sin. We're talking about sin. There's sin that does not lead to death. And there's sin that leads to death. And now let me clarify something else. In this stark passage, John is not talking about a spiritual death because for the life of the follower, Jesus Christ paid for our spiritual life. We celebrated the resurrection last week. And in the resurrection, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. So John's not talking about a spiritual death here. John is talking about a literal, physical death. He's speaking of a a premature, physical death. So if I'm going to summarize this in a statement, I'd say this, that the bottom line is that sometimes a follower of Christ can sin so severely that God judges them with swift, physical death. 
There are several passages in Scripture that verify this, that bear it out. I think it's in the, in the book of 2 Samuel, the sixth chapter, where God had given a command that those that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant don't touch it. Don't touch it or you will die. You all familiar with that passage? Don't touch the Ark or you will die. Uzzah, one of the guys that was, that was responsible for carrying the Ark, good guy, man. The Bible said David wept and mourned. Good guy, meant well. But as a priest started to slip, he reached down and touched the ark to try to grab it. Instantly, he was dead. Because he disobeyed. He knew better. In Acts chapter 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit. Man, okay. And when they lied to the Holy Spirit, instantly they both dropped dead. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we, have, we see Paul admonishing the followers of Christ. And he admonishes those that are mockingly taking communion and taking it unworthily. He says, listen, because of this, some are dead today. Physical, premature death. Dr. Crawford Loretz, as I was listening to him this week, he was talking about a young couple that was in his church. Active in the church, great couple. But the husband started an adulterous affair. Dr. Loretz, in, in, in his love for this young man, took him out to lunch and pulled him aside and begged him, begged him to stop. And he said this young man looked at him right in his eyes and said, I will not stop. He said, when he said that, it's the only time in my life that I felt, I felt a fear come over me. And I went home and I told my wife what this young man had said. Less than a week later, this, this man was driving down the highway on his motorcycle and he clipped, the back of his motorcycle clipped the front end of a pickup and launched him down Highway 20 into a pole. And the only, the only way that they were able to recognize this man was by the wedding band on his finger. I'm not telling you that. I'm not trying to be sensational here. I'm just saying that too many of us have, have accommodated sin and nonsense in our lives for too long. And we take God for granted thinking that somehow we can get away with continual sin, that it will go unpunished. I know this is strong, but I'm here to issue. Listen, <laughs> I see why people don't want to preach this. This is tough, difficult stuff, but it's the truth of God's word. And listen, one day I'm going to have to stand before God, and I'll tell you what, I'm not going to stand before God and give an account for why I didn't tell you the truth.
If you're messing around with sin, quit playing with sin. Don't play with God. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. Death. The death is, is, what is, is, is the payment for sin. And listen, sometimes it's time delayed. Sometimes it's time released. But it's death. And listen to me, sometimes it's premature physical death. You can choose the crime, but you cannot choose the punishment. And so John speaks to us in this passage about the two categories of habitual sin. Sin unto death. And here's the thing, it could be any ongoing sin that's habitual and repeated. It could be a heinous sin. But the person who sins is habitually is going to fall into one of these two categories. Okay? Here they are. We struggle with sin and you feel guilty or sorry. Everyone struggles with something. Raise your hand if you don't struggle with anything so I can come in here and just so I can bring you up here and pray for you. Because you're deceived. Every one of us struggles with something. Sometimes it's the same thing over and over again. But it's a good thing when, when a person sins and they feel bad about it. It's an even better thing if they sin and it brings sorrow and repentance. That's a good spot to be in. But I believe that when John speaks to the sin unto death, he's speaking of the second category. And that's those who no longer struggle with sin. They just give in to it. They come to a place of what I call defiant disobedience. Just flagrant about it, just flaunting it. John warns us, he says, don't cross over. Be careful not to cross over the threshold of being sorrowful and repentant into defiant disobedience. Be careful. The writer in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says this, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When I read that passage of Scripture, I thought about that little chick that just burst out of that egg. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you could, God could either gently hold us in his hand as we're overcoming, or he could crush us. He could crush us. But he doesn't. Be careful. So how do we know when we've crossed into defiance? I want to give you five indicators. I have to tell you something. There's a war going on in my mind right now. 
And the war is, man, I sure don't want to tell you guys this stuff. Because I know it's hard. But the other side is, I have to tell you the truth. People say that legalism is being too strict on the word of God. No, that's not legalism. The definition of legalism is reading and putting into the word of God more than that's there. And I'm just telling you what the scripture says today, family. How do we know when we've crossed into defiance? There's five indicators. First, you've ceased to struggle with sin. You just quit fighting with it. Just give up. Just give in. The second, when you use God's mercy and grace to continue in your sin. Don't be presumptuous that God is going to be graceful and merciful. I think Paul in Romans chapter 6 says, should we continue to sin so that grace will abound? Absolutely not. The third is you continue to resist God's discipline. You don't embrace it. You resist it. The fourth is you no longer fear God in, in, in your disobedience. And the fifth is when sin becomes the accepted, even appreciated norm for our lives. When perverted thinking and the sin that is associated and comes along with it becomes the standard by which we live, becomes acceptable. Now I'll tell you, that's heavy, heavy stuff. And I'm so glad that John doesn't leave us there. I'm so glad he writes in a circular motion. He circles back. He comforts our hearts. Tells us in verse 18, he says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. That he who is born, that he should be capitalized. Because that he is talking about Jesus. He who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John finishes up here by, by, by saying to us that if we're in an abiding relationship with Jesus, we have nothing to fear. Jose, you can bring your team up. We can find safety and will find safety and security in our Lord Jesus Christ. Satan cannot defeat us. The greater one lives on the inside of us. Sin has no power over us because the curse of sin has been broken in our lives. And listen, you might stumble. You might fall. You might even get off course from time to time. But because the greater one lives on the inside of us, if we allow him, family, he, he'll pick us up when we fall, when we stumble. He'll raise us up. If we're off just a little bit, he'll recalibrate our lives and bring us back into his right standing, his righteousness. And as long as we abide and remain in him, the corruption of this world 
cannot take hold of us because he protects us from it. Here's the key. When we mess up, all we have to do is repent. That's it. 1 John 1 and 9 says this. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because we belong to him. We are his and he loves us. His desire is to pour his love and his grace and his mercy on us as we live a life according to his directives. A life that is filled with love and obedience and faith. And so no matter where you find yourself today, I want to invite you to experience this love and this grace. That's, that's able to rescue you from wherever you are, no matter where you are. There's nothing that you've ever done or could ever do that would make God love you any less or make God love you less or any more. Nothing. And his grace is sufficient for you.